Hi guys, I'm Daniel Hanbali, and this is something to consider. I had a thought the other day and I wanted to share. Do you remember getting picked to play sports in gym class? You know that awkward moment when two people would randomly be assigned to be captains and they would have to assemble or choose people in the class to join their team? Usually it would start with sports, but as you get older, it becomes getting picked for assignments, presentations, group activities, and so on. I was thinking about it and I realized we're always encouraged to work with others and pick people to be on our teams, but we were never really taught why to pick a team member. What does one look for? And as a team member, we don't have any responsibility beyond waiting to be picked. We're never asked, why should you be picked? At least not until we make it to the arrogant teenage phase of life, where at this point, we're so used to the world revolving around us. We bask in the glory of superficial advantages in life that we haven't even earned before even being asked the question. But we're not going to get into that. If I were to take this thought one step further, I'd say we as individuals never really learn how to present ourselves to others until super late in life. We don't know how to pitch ourselves. In fact, in some cases, the idea of doing so is seen as cringeworthy and almost arrogant. We grow up relying on the biases of a team captain who is appointed arbitrarily to lead a selection process, and in the case of, an impre of impressionable children, those biases are usually your loyalty to a friend, and as you grow older, superficial reasons like he's tall, so he can probably dunk higher, and she hands in her assignments on time, so she's clearly the smart one who's always prepared. We start this really early in our lives, and in reflecting back, I can completely see how it starts to lead to issues we develop later as we mature into teenagers and young adults. Things like insecurities, the need to please others, and actively play into particular archetypes and stereotypes that others have decided you fit into. Not you, others decide. In my case, the archetype I was always labeled as was the smart one. I was the student that took the AP classes, got to class early, studied for tests, and engaged in class discussions. My grades and accomplishments were always the punchline for a projection of myself I actually never created, but was very much imposed on me. An image of me on a pedestal that I never really asked for, but very much enjoyed the illusion or idea of. Now I understand this sounds sort of self-indulgent and very boo-hoo, life is hard, you got good grades and were considered smart, go find someone with real problems. But I'm not judging the nature of the archetype. Although granted the vicious nature of grade school students, this definitely was a better category to be lumped into than the other evil things that kids come up with these days and even back then. But I'm trying to make a point here, so go with me on this. As a means of survival, we fall into particular archetypes growing up that make the transition into teenage years or adulthood easier. And I say fall because sometimes associating yourself to an archetype happens by pure accident. I shared in a previous episode that I moved a lot growing up. So committing to getting good grades and being at the top of my class and always being recognized for it was a safe place to stay for a kid who may have felt lost and who still had so much to figure out. What started as a coping mechanism to uncertainty became an addiction. An addiction to constantly stay on top of or on that pedestal in the eyes of everyone else. Being recognized for it and even applauded for it. It became the truth in my head. I carried it with me in every aspect of my life, especially my career. I had to protect that image because that image became my identity. And with that identity came acceptance from others and love. If I wasn't able to maintain that peak state of achievement 
all the time and be recognized for it all the time, I constantly would feel like I'd be falling short. I'm not doing enough. I'm failing. What changed? Am I doing something wrong? Do they hate me? Am I actually smart? Did I just get lucky? Am I enough? So to compensate for the lack of awareness in understanding the root of where these feelings stem from, I resorted to treating the symptoms. I would overexert myself to the millionth degree and push every part of my body, mind, and spirit to maintaining the highest boiling point of productivity possible at all times. And in an attempt to maintain that sense of control and stay sane, in the process I invested in all the self-care routines available, from going to the gym, to yoga, doing massages, treatments, solo travels all over the world, shopping, social gatherings, you name it, I did it. And all in the name of work hard, play hard. I love myself. This is taking care of myself. This is self-care. But what happens when you boil water at a high degree over a long period of time? The forces that hold the molecules together break, and water, poof, evaporates, just like that. And it happens in what feels like an instant. That, in a nutshell, is burnout. It is real, it is scary, it is so lonely. You go from being a force of passion and light that radiates energy to completely devoid of emotion and motivation in a way that you wouldn't even imagine. You literally feel like you are all dried out as a human. I became the complete antithesis of the person I knew I was on the inside. I didn't recognize myself anymore. It was sad and really difficult to deal with. And ever since, I have been taking the necessary steps to heal and get healthier mentally, which I'll get to in another episode. But to circle back to the point here, this notion of not learning how to pitch yourself early on really stuck with me. Relying on others to dictate what value I add and where I fit in and why I'm being chosen. No wonder fresh graduates find it so difficult to interview for jobs. It's the first time they're probably asked the question, and most will end up doing what they all do, hiding behind a CV or a GPA. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to know who you are at five years old, guys, or even at 18. Hell, I know people in their 40s who are still figuring it out. What I'm talking about here is a skill that often gets labeled as marketing yourself, sales, or sales talk bullshit. Sometimes it's even judged as a skill that is associated to the cheapest form of business and is defined as purely transactional and impersonal. But I think we should consider that this is actually one of, if not the most important life skill that exists today. I think we need to acknowledge that while it may feel awkward in nature, it's valuable in practice. Understanding how to pitch yourself is a literal metaphor for how to navigate life as adults. The nature of a pitch is that it has to evolve and change as you grow and learn as an individual. It doesn't stay the same, and it gets better with experience. It is something that builds confidence and courage internally, and builds character and empathy externally. Empathy because it is a vulnerable experience to watch someone else do it. And that really humbles you and usually impacts how you respond to them in that moment. At least that's what I've found. It builds confidence, not because you know your strengths, but because to know your strengths, you have to come to terms and be honest about your weaknesses. And courage naturally follows because instead of relying on overpromising and positioning yourself as an expert in everything, you will naturally find ways to present those strengths in the best way possible, which is honorable, 
honest, and the best way to present anything. On that note, overpromising is a skill for the weak. Whether you're pitching as an individual or a business, it actually reeks of insecurity, skepticism, and fear. So, some great ways to think about how to learn to pitch yourself, which does very easily apply to the brand you work for or the business you're building, are the following. I learned these through practice and lots of stumbling in the process, but through repetition and different iterations, I feel like they've really helped me get better. One, start with the question. It'll tell you volumes about the audience that you're speaking to. Not everyone is prepared to listen or has the background to understand the context of everything that you have to say. Also, not everything you have to say is always necessary to hear. The more you practice this, the better you get at it. But the pitch or the way that you tell the story changes depending on who you're speaking to. Remember, your audience needs to understand your value. So while the pitch is about you, the pitch is not just about you. Make sense? Also, the tip here is to ask the question, not a question, meaning that there is a level of preparation here to invest in before even having this conversation or pitching the value you add to anyone. So what is the question that you will ask? Two, share your strengths. Focus on the value you add versus the technical skill set and do it passionately. Enthusiasm oftentimes sends a message of trust, even if there are people who are better at the skill set. Trust sometimes supersedes competency because people invest in people. People want to be around good energy, people are not perfect, and people appreciate honesty. Enthusiasm for what you can do and the value that you add is going to be what you are remembered for in a pitch meeting or even a casual conversation over coffee. Third, listen intently. This is such an underrated skill, especially because Pitching is such an active act, it can feel performative at times. So the assumption is, I need to be entertaining and loud and have everyone's attention all the time. The truth is, pausing, listening, taking questions, listening to feedback are all important social cues that command a level of respect in interactions. Even the people that are observing your presentation need to have a role and feel heard. I learned this in negotiation training as well. A little tip for how to encourage doing more of this in a pitch meeting is that I always carry a notebook and a pen around. By the way, side note, I don't know where in the hierarchy of executive roles the notion of taking notes or carrying a notebook became an uncool thing to do that only junior execs or secretaries would do. I think it really humbles senior people when I see them do this, but again, that's just a side note. Using a notebook as a forced pause moment for me to take a breather, slow down, and allow for what someone else is saying to register, even if they're just asking a question and all I'm doing is writing that question down. I take a moment and I do it. Before closing this episode, I do wanna reiterate something because I keep hearing it in different contexts when it comes to when someone should pitch themselves and when they shouldn't have to do it anymore. A popular influencer once said, I'm at a stage where brands should be coming to me. The context of the comment was that this particular influencer had reached a level of earned public following and publicity where they no longer needed to quote unquote, pitch themselves to others. They just waited for and sometimes expected invitations from brands to roll in. I heard this same comment from super accomplished people in different domains. I was speaking to someone that had reached the highest ranking within their domain and was revered, respected, and received critical acclaim for their work. And they said something along the lines of, I've done my part, 
I put in the time, people should be paying me X and coming to me with opportunities. I'm done doing the hard stuff. Now, obviously, hard work that is earned entitles everyone to a level of respect that each individual sets for themselves, as well as a way of working. And I'm not here to judge or say that one is right or wrong. But I do think there is something worth considering here. The people who we collectively refer to as goats or the greatest of all time, they all stand out in specific categories like sports, entertainment, and various other industries, right? I'm talking about people like Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, even Beyonce. These are people that possess skill sets that no one would dare question. They are so talented and work so hard at their craft that you cannot but look at them in awe. They arguably should never have to pitch themselves to anyone because they've achieved a level of success that makes them almost untouchable. Yet, at some point in each of their journeys, they have had to take a step back and re-examine their purpose, values, work, or even dedication to their craft. They questioned how relevant they still were to fans from a different generation. They questioned whether they still find joy in their craft in an evolving industry. And sometimes they had to do so in a very public setting. And in listening to their stories, while I do hear confidence in their capabilities, I don't hear arrogance in their willingness to find new ways to represent or pitch themselves to the world in a manner that's even new and innovative for them. Even actions as minute as starting a TikTok account in your 40s and figuring out how to make that platform make sense for you as a professional tennis player in the public eye. Learning to pitch is a life skill that applies to all areas of how we navigate life. Business, relationships, hobbies, everything. Learning to pitch yourself early on in life carries with it lessons in reflection, articulation, iteration, conviction, and persuasion. A part of me even wonders if we introduce this skill set early on in the developmental years of a child's life, would this change their perception of how they see themselves? Would this encourage them to see their presence in the world as part of a collective where everyone is accountable for the contributions that they make? Would it sway superficial archetypes that become how you are branded by your peers? Would this invite them to question and explore more about themselves? Would they be more interested in learning? What would learning and education even look like? Would this encourage a level of self-love in oneself because it relies on understanding your own literal value and what you bring to the table versus mere positive affirmations? This is a life skill that pushes anyone from any walk of life, educated or not, to examine how can I add value? Why does my voice matter? Why should you listen to what I have to say? Versus the mindset of, my existence should be enough of a reason for my voice to matter. No, it's both your existence and what you bring to the table that matters. Everyone has a role to play in business and in this world. We need each other. And it is on you to tell me why. So the next time anyone decides to tell you that having the skills to articulate your value and put yourself out there as a cheap tactic that's sad or embarrassing, give them a wink and a smile and remind them, that life's a pitch. There is a quote I would like to share that is relevant to this episode. It's a quote that's often credited to Nelson Mandela, but is actually written by a, a writer named Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. 
we ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. If you make it to the end of this episode, I want to thank you for the privilege of your time. It would really help me if you would like, comment, share, or subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it as I'm trying to grow this platform. Any and all support is welcome and appreciated. Please do feel free to reach out with any feedback on the content or share what resonated most. I would love to hear it all. In the meantime, I hope you found something to consider.